Welcome to the Beatrice Institute podcast. I'm your host, Ryan McDermott. I'm a professor of English at the University of Pittsburgh and faculty director of the Beatrice Institute, an ecumenical learning and research community that supports advanced inquiry in the Christian intellectual and cultural traditions. Animated by intellectual friendship, inside and outside the academy, Beatrice Institute serves all who pursue the beautiful, the true, and the good. Welcome. My guest today is Pastor Eric Andre, chaplain for Lutheran Student Fellowship and International Student Ministry out of First Trinity Lutheran Church in Oakland slash Shadyside uh, in Pittsburgh, and also member of the Advisory Council of the Beatrice Institute. So, Pastor Andre, you are a campus minister. Uh, what does your life look like in a in a typical week, and how has this week been different for you? Well, I've been doing campus ministry, uh, Ryan, since February 2001, and I've yet to have a typical week. I, I don't know exactly what that is. I mean, obviously, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, obviously, there are, you know, regularly recurring events, you know, in a, in a typical week, so to speak, I, I'm always focusing on connecting with the students in various ways. Uh, as part of a congregational setting, uh, really what, what our life together is focused on is worship on Sunday mornings, the divine service, the mass, and everything that flows out of that, including uh, midweek student Bible study and dinner, where we close with evening prayer. Once a month, we have something called Super Second Saturday, where we usually gather at a parishioner's home or maybe one of the grad students' apartments for a meal, some social time, uh, depending on, again, whose home it is. Maybe we're doing some stuff outside. And then we have other you know, social events. We may go to a pirate game or go bowling, do a lot of service events, service projects as well. We help out with the homeless ministry here at First Trinity, which has weekly lunch rounds on Sunday afternoons and quarterly distribution of clothing and toiletries. A lot of our students volunteer for that. And, and I'm on campus a lot, mainly at Pitt and CMU, uh, meeting with students, uh, having coffee with students, lunch with students, just connecting with them, building community, building friendship, and, and, and a lot of pastoral care and counsel in, in those settings as well, you know, out on campus at lunch and also here in my study here at, at First Trinity, you know, dealing with all kinds of, of, of questions and issues that the students are confronting in their lives. So, but, but because of that, like I said, no week is typical because who I'm meeting with, what, what they're going through in their life varies from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. The personality of the student group varies as well. So, so in all of those cases, you're meeting with people in person. I mean, this is very much a a kind of hands-on job, right? Definitely, definitely. And so, how how has that changed? For example, how are your how's your congregation gathering together now? How are you connecting with students? Well, our last Sunday together as a worshiping congregation, under more or less normal circumstances, was March twenty second, which I think it was for most. Right now, as we're recording this, this is a couple weeks later. Since then, we have been live streaming our services. You know, via our Facebook page. That, like I said, that was the last gathering in person. Since then, you know, I've been reaching out to my students via text, uh, phone calls in some cases, doing some, uh, you know, video Skyping uh, sessions for our Bible study or catechesis. And, those, and you know, in, in a way, I mean, thanks be to God for modern technology, where 
for example, you and I are able to do something like this, and I'm able to kind of meet with the students uh, through those video sessions, we would not have been able to do that 20 or 30 years ago. But at the same time, it's no replacement for actual in-person you know, facial expression, flesh-to-flesh contact, that's really irreplaceable. And so I think for me, both in my kind of, in my pastoral MO, and also in terms of my just, you know, individual personality as an extrovert, as a social extrovert, it's been very challenging, I think very difficult. I think the students, by and large, uh, as I've talked to them, are really dealing with it with a lot of calm. Uh, there's, I, I don't sense that they are in crisis mode. I don't sense uh, an overwhelming anxiety. Of course, there's there's concern, and of course, they'd rather have things be different. But but uh, there, there's a lot of calm. I think they they truly have the peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus. And what about the homeless ministry that you mentioned? What what's happening with that? Yeah, we we have uh, had to put that on hiatus for the time being. We are, I think, we're thinking about. Are there ways in which we can still continue that? You know, different congregations, different churches have had different levels of of, of shutdown, so to speak. Uh, And we've essentially stopped all person-to-person contact. And um, that's been a tough call. Uh, That's been a tough call. You know, uh, so we have not continued those lunch rounds. Um, I think our hope is that maybe with, you know, extra caution. Maybe we can resume those at some point soon. But of course, just yesterday, I think the governor extended the, the stay-at-home uh, edict and, and the, you know, the closing of the businesses for another month. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's in a sense a fluid situation, right? And rapidly developing. And so we, we, we revisit these questions, I think, at least on a weekly basis with the rest of the staff here, including the parish pastor, our vicar, and, and others. Yes. And I mean, presumably at some point, Every organization is going to be left to make a prudential judgment about how to most safely proceed and work their way back to normal, right? Have you all been discussing any kind of like intermediate measures, what that would look like? It's interesting you mentioned that. Just just yesterday, I was emailing with, with one of our parishioners. And I think, you know, I mentioned that my students are not necessarily at this kind of crisis mode, uh, that they have a certain calm and a certain peace. Uh, I think it's it's different for the elderly. It's different for this, perhaps for single people. It's different for dysfunctional families that are now, you know, together uh, a lot more than usual. So as I said, I was just just emailing with one of our parishioners who's who's really struggling uh, in this situation, and uh, I think we perhaps need to. Uh, and I know some churches have done this, find some sort of even, you know, video interactive format where it's not just a text here and there or a phone call once a week to see if you're OK. But where, where the parishioners and or the students can interact with each other face to face, as it were, even if not in person. And so that that's something that we're going to be discussing going forward here probably this week. I mean, we have Holy Week coming up next week. That's, of course, uh, you know, an extremely important time uh, for the church. And um, yeah, so we're we're having ongoing conversations about how best to serve our people. Yeah. And what, what is the, what are the theological resources that you have for this and biblical? I mean, how do Lutherans think about corporate worship? For the Lutheran church, corporate worship is, I would say the main aspect of our identity. It's who we are as the people gathered by God 
to be given his life-sustaining gifts. The Lutheran Church is a sacramental church, and so to go without communion, without the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar, the Eucharist, to go without that personally, uh, I can say it's been very, it's been difficult for me, and in a sense, it's only been two weeks. Historically, the Lutheran Church offers uh, communion at every Sunday service and on feast days. Uh, First Trinity, that, that's the case for us, and so, so you know, I, I'm used to receiving uh, at least once a week, and, and of course, now it's been over two weeks, and the, the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren in person, the handshake, the hug, the look in the eye, uh, the, the listening ear. And, and I would say, although it's not very common practice in the Lutheran Church, we do offer private confession and absolution normally. Uh, that's something I regularly uh, partake of. I'm, I'm the confessor. I hear confessions, but I also go to a father confessor, a fellow pastor myself. That's something I'm having to go without. So, yeah, our life together is, of course, has been severely detrimentally impacted. The first Sunday that we had this live stream service without parishioners, without the Lord's Supper, was what many call Bread of Life Sunday, uh, Lightari Sunday, March 22nd, which means rejoice, right? Rejoice, O Jerusalem. And we heard the reading, the gospel reading in both Matins and in the chief service were from John 6, about Christ feeding the masses and then also declaring that he is the bread of life. And so we had bread of life Sunday, but in a sense, we didn't have the bread of life. We didn't have the bread above all breads of, of, of communion. And uh, that was not, not only paradoxical, or ironic, whatever the English term is, you, you can tell me, professor, but it was, I mean, extremely difficult. At the same time, uh, the Lutheran church, uh, being a sacramental church, we don't only have one sacrament. We don't only have one, what we call, means of grace. The Lord also provides us with other means of grace, and that includes the, the Word itself, the written scriptures. And so people can still hear those scriptures proclaimed in preaching through the streaming service, and they can certainly gather in their homes, and even with their friends on video, right, and read the scriptures and expound them and study them and pray from them. And I think a lot of people, uh, as I've talked to them, have found that this has been a time with roommates, with families, with spouses and children to grow closer in that word, to find more time together at the dinner table and after the dinner table in, in prayer and in the word. And hopefully that is something that can be extended onto whenever this, you know, whenever we come out of this pandemic, whenever that'll be. So, And, you know, um, I'm a Roman Catholic and in the Catholic tradition, there's this teaching on spiritual communion, this idea that even if you can't receive in person, you know, in the actual species of the, uh, the body and blood of Christ, that through desire, there's communion by desire. Is that, is that, how does that look in the Lutheran tradition? I don't know that we have that exact kind of codified teaching or that language, but there's certainly a sense of that in terms of that faith clings to Christ and has access to Christ in and through, as I mentioned, the other means of grace. So even if we cannot feed on the body and blood of Christ, we are still united with him through our baptisms. We still are united by him. Right? I mean, there's a, the mystery of the Lord's Supper is, at least from the Lutheran perspective, we, we don't talk about necessarily when the presence, the bodily and bloody presence of Christ ends. So I think there's a sense of 
you know, I, I have, we communed two weeks ago. The Lord is still with me, right? He, he's, he's still with me even through that communion, even though we, of course, strongly prefer to have it each week. And again, united with him in baptism, united with him through the word, uh, united with him in prayer. So each of the, the means of grace in word and sacrament has specific and unique benefits. But all of them, from the Lutheran perspective, offer us forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So no one is going without the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation at this time. No one is, you know, Christ is not absent. He has not left the world. He is still uh, not only ruling at the right hand of the Father, but also still coming to us, uh, as I said, through the Word and in our baptismal identity. And I, so I think maybe even though we, we might not have that particular language of, of the communion of desire, there is still that union with Christ that we have through the sacraments as a whole and through those that are, you know, through those means of grace that are still available to us now. And that can make us thirst and hunger for communion even more. I mean, my hope, I mean, you know, Ryan, we don't know. This could go any, I guess it could go three ways. Whenever this returns to normal, maybe things will be just as they were before. Or the negative would be if people have developed habits. You know, it takes, what do they say, three weeks to develop a habit. Well, people are not going to church now for about three weeks. Are Some people, will that be a habit that will stay with them and they won't feel the need or the desire to go to church because they've developed a new habit? I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm hopeful that it will be the opposite, that people will so thirst and hunger to be with their fellow Christians, to receive communion, to welcome and embrace each other, that I think hopefully there'll be an outpouring of that. One of my one of my kind of heroes in the faith, if you will, one of my exemplars and mentors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, undoubtedly familiar to, to many folks who will be watching and listening to this. But uh, his wonderful little book on life together, which he wrote out of a situation in World War II under the Third Reich in which a lot of the gatherings that he wished to have and the ministry that he wished to exercise was was curtailed or even outlawed. He talked about, in the beginning of that book, the, the hunger and thirst for the presence of a brother or sister in Christ that is even more exacerbated when, when you can't have it. And, and then how we rejoice, again, when that is uh, returned to us. And, and that, that's my hope. That's my hope that this, this will be a time for, in a sense, strengthening that desire. Yeah. One of the things, going back to the idea of habit that I've reflected on, is that we form habits... Whatever we're doing, we're constantly forming habits. And we also need to be maintaining habits. And so during this time, you know, an extra deliberate focus on maintaining the habits that we had that were good, that we're no longer able to carry on, is, you know, just as important as trying to maybe form new habits that are easier to form now. Uh, I know that for my family, it's been easier to gather together as a family to say morning prayer and evening prayer every day because our life is just much less hectic. So so we can form that, but at the same time, Sundays we need to be deliberate about maintaining the habit of setting that side of time setting aside that time and sitting down for whenever that worship service is, is streaming, right? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so and then uh, with Bonhoeffer, the Psalms have take kind of pride of place in life together. Could you talk a bit about what the place of the Psalms is in our communal worship life? The Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, the prayer book of Christ and the apostles, the prayer book of the church. 
conveniently placed right in the middle. So it's e- they're easy to find right in the middle of the scriptures, you know, and the Psalms uh, traditionally in the liturgy, uh, the Psalm in the introit, in the entrance is the first thing that the church prays, the first expression of the church in its gathered worship on a Sunday morning. When we are praying the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer, which I think really the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer inform and, and, and shape one another and flow into and out of one another. Uh, when we pray those, we are, we are joined to the church of all ages and, and, and obviously the church of today. I think when we pray the Psalms, it, it's so helpful to understand and think about how does this apply, not just to me in my situation, although, there's, it's, although it's amazing, right, Ryan, how often we read the Psalms like, yeah, wow, this is exactly how I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm going through. But then we can also think that Christ prays these Psalms. He prays them as the righteous one. He prays them also as the one who took upon himself the sin and guilt of the world in the penitential Psalms that are so commonly prayed in, uh, in Lent. And the church prays these. The body of Christ prays these. So yeah, Bonhoeffer really expresses that very well in, in the book Life Together that I mentioned. And also in a really excellent little book simply called Psalms, the Prayer Book of the Bible, where he kind of groups the Psalms together. He starts out with just a theology of prayer. The first few pages, I think, honestly, is the best thing I've read on prayer. And it's just, like I said, three or four pages. And then, and then, and then he groups the Psalms together in terms of what they express about creation or repentance and, and very Christ-centered, very Christocentric, that these are the Psalms, these are the prayers of, of our Lord as he prays them to his Father for us as our intercessor and mediator. So yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Ryan, that the Psalms should find, if, if people have not yet discovered or rediscovered the Psalms for their daily prayer life, now's the time to do it. And this is actually especially poignant in Holy Week, you know, which is coming up next week, where in the biblical narrative we find Jesus praying the Psalms with his disciples. We know at the Last Supper they're, they're praying the, the songs of ascent you know, is it 115 through 118? Uh, and, and so we can read these and be right with Jesus as he's going through his passion. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then, and then on Good Friday, from the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A direct citation from the beginning of Psalm 22. As a matter of fact, historians and, and biblical scholars say that often when a Jew would speak the first verse, that was an indication shorthand for I'm, I'm indicating the whole of the psalm. And even that Christ might have said the whole of the psalm. And, and the gospel writers are, are giving that abbreviation, let the reader understand. So that psalm, of course, think about how, how applicable and pertinent that is to our times today. There may be many people during this you know, stay-at-home pandemic that feel forsaken. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, my friends, pray that psalm. Pray it with Christ. Pray it all the way through and see how in the end it turns into a glorious praise of a God who is still with us in Christ. So we've talked some in general about you know, the challenges of this time, but are there particular practical challenges that your congregation faces as a congregation and that you see individuals facing during this time? Well, we talked about the formation of habits. Another aspect I think that all congregations will confront to some extent or another is financial realities. People give their offerings when they're in church and tend to, frankly, maybe not remember as often to give when they're not in church. (laughs) So we are working here at First Trinity. I think it might even be set up 
as I speak, on, you know, an online portal. A lot of churches have that already, but an on, online portal for people's giving of their offerings and tithes. Because, you know, the work of the church hasn't ended, it's just shifted. And priests and pastors and deacons and others still need to be supported uh, for their life and for their families. I think a challenge going forward will be for society at large as well as for the church will be what we might call communal intimacy. Again, will will people be affected so much that, you know, I read something the other day about the handshake may have come to an end permanently. Well, will that be the case or will it be, will it be something the opposite where, again, people are so thirsting and hungering for, for that friendship and those expressions of intimacy, those, those expressions of, 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 you know, greetings or, or what have you hugs, or, or like in my wife's Mexican culture where you, you kiss when you meet someone on the cheek and so on. You know, th- those, those are going to be challenges. You know, are people going to be, you know, it's strange. We're, we're allowed still with this stay-at-home rule. We're still allowed to go out and exercise, right? So, you know, my daughters and I go walk down the street. Well, we had been going to the basketball court. Now they're closing the basketball courts. But anyway, as we walk down the street, you know, people come. I find not only are people trying to move six feet away, but it's interesting, body language, they're not looking at each other or smiling anymore either. Because I think what we do with our bodies affects the whole interaction. So yeah, there's, there's going to be church, challenges now and going forward for churches, for, for campus ministries, but for society as a whole. But again, the good thing is the Lord is the Lord not only of the church, it's Christ's church, but it's also his world. Uh, he is the creator and redeemer also of this world. Uh, we, we pray in every collect, if we have the full ending, the full termination, as it's called, in every prayer of the church, we pray that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns, who lives and reigns, he is still ruling. He is still at the right hand of the Father. When things seem to be spinning out of control, we cannot always see or understand his ways. And that's a good thing, because that would mean that we were God. And then if we were God, we'd mess things up. But God is God. The Lord is the Lord. He's in control he will work all things ultimately in his time and in his way for the good of those whom he has called according to his purposes. And what present opportunities for good are you seeing? Like, what are the? Can you identify particular practical benefits uh, for the the spiritual life right now? Sure. I think one one is the one you know uh, we've already been talking about a good deal, and that is devotional time, prayer time time with family, but also people reaching out and connecting with each other, you know, thinking maybe about that elderly person who's at home, thinking about that family that had been going through struggles, and maybe thinking about them more often and actually doing something about it, reaching out with a phone call, with a video chat, maybe dropping off groceries on the front door. There may actually be more contact, even if it's not in person, but more contact overall for those people who are really thinking of others who, who are struggling in this midst. There may, you know, and, and we can see, you know, the heroes in the medical community and, and politicians, frankly, who are, who are stepping out and doing what's necessary. And in many cases, you know, even in a sense, laying their life on the line to serve us. I think we can, we can see acts of heroism and, and selflessness that can be inspiring for us going forward. So there are opportunities for good in the midst of this for people to grow closer and to reach out more and be more intentional about checking up on people who otherwise they might not check up on. Speaking of leadership in in plague time, you know Martin Luther was, you know, alive during at least one wave of the bubonic plague, you know, the bubonic plague which I've been talking about a good bit recently, broke out first in 
the smack in the middle of the 14th century and then returned in upwards of 30 waves over 200 years, uh, depending where you were in Europe. So uh, it was just, yeah. What, so what was... What would Luther do in a time of plague? Yeah, 1527, uh, the bubonic plague hit Wittenberg, which was his hometown. And he wrote uh, a letter to one of the pastors there who had written him for, for advice. And then this letter you know, became kind of an open letter to the, the broader community. And uh, amazing how, how contemporary, really, the letter is. And, and people can you know, look it up online and find, find, find the whole thing. It's about maybe I don't know, five or six pages but, you know, he advises, take care of your neighbor where it's your calling and vocation. So, for example, family, or if you're, you know, if you're in the medical community uh, and pastors to serve their people. But he also says, but avoid spreading the disease. You know, be, have, have the necessary caution. Uh, so, so he really had a balance that I think is what leaders are seeking today. You know, don't just throw up your hands and say, well, whatever happens, if I get sick, I get sick. It's all God's will kind of thing. Well, God's will works through us, and we are not to seek to thwart his will, but act on that in terms of serving the neighbor, but doing so reasonably, cautiously, uh, staying and doing what we can, but at the same time, you know, do, do, doing so with caution. And, and, and what, what he would say, what is, our, what is our calling? What is our vocation? Maybe I can just read, read a couple lines from that letter, Ryan. Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah that would be great. Yeah, he says here, um, see, I marked it here in my, in my book. Yeah, he says... Use medicine. Take whatever may be helpful to you. Fumigate your house, yard, and street. Avoid persons and places where you are not needed or where your neighbor has recovered. Act as one who would like to help put out a general fire. What is the pestilence, after all, but a fire which consumes body and life instead of wood and straw? Meanwhile, think in this way. With God's permission, the enemy has sent poison and deadly dung among us, and so I will pray to God that he may be gracious and preserve us. Then I will fumigate to purify the air, give and take medicine, and avoid places and persons where I am not needed in order that I may not abuse myself and that through me others may not be infected and inflamed with the result that I become the cause of their death through my negligence. If God wishes to take me, he will be able to find me. At least I have done what he gave me to do and am responsible neither for my own death nor for the death of others. But if my neighbor needs me, I shall avoid neither person nor place, but feel free to visit and help him. Behold, this is a true and God-fearing faith, which is neither foolhardy nor rash and does not tempt God. And then he continues just a couple more lines here. He says, If the people in a town conducted themselves that they were bold in their faith when the need of the neighbors required it, careful when there was no need, and helpful to one another in counteracting the poison whenever possible, then death would indeed be light in such a town. But when it happens that some of the people are too fearful and flee from their neighbors in time of need, while others are so foolhardy that they do not help to counteract the disease but rather spread it, then the devil will take advantage of the situation and the mortality will certainly be high. Both are very injurious to God and man, the former by fearfulness and the latter by tempting God. Um, wow. That yeah. sounds like, I mean, it, it sounds like a made-up meme that you would see on the internet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that like, oh, sure, Martin Luther said these things that everybody is talking about now, but he actually did. And it makes me think that, you know, the epidemiologists, they, they talk these days about 19th century solutions, you know, that actually, like, we don't have any 21st century solutions available to us, no DNA-based vaccines or test, and very little testing. So we're back to 19th century solutions. But 
they aren't even 19th century. Like they are 16th century solutions. Right, right, right. <laughs> like these, these go way back. Yeah, it's again. I just I urge people to check out the, the whole thing. Just a couple more lines, Ryan, if I can. Uh, he yeah. says, you know, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Of course, quoting scripture. Here you hear the command to love your neighbor, and that is like unto the first that we should love God. And what you do or omit doing to your neighbor means as much as that you have done or failed to do it to God Himself. If then you would minister to and wait upon Christ, behold, you have a sick neighbor before you. Go to him and minister to him, and you will assuredly find Christ in him, not according to the person, but in his word. But then he says, on the other hand, some sin too much and are too daring and foolhardy. They tempt God. They neglect all the things with which they ought to protect themselves against pestilence or death. They scorn the use of medicine. They do not avoid the places they shouldn't go. They drink and play with such persons. And in this way, they try to demonstrate their good cheer. And they say, oh, it's God's punishment. If he wishes to protect me from it, he will do so without medicine and any effort on my part. But this is not trusting God, says Luther. This is tempting God. For God created medicine and gave us our reason in order that we may so manage and care for our bodies to be well and to live. So yeah, it just it continues with that theme. And he uses other, yeah. So, so not foolhardy on one side, but not unloving on the either. I think that balance. So reading that to me is, has been helpful. That's the theory from the 16th century that Luther put into practice. Now, you know, how do we put that into practice now in the 21st century? That's something that I think all of us, all churches and, and all leaders are, are discussing in this very fluid situation. Well, so... What have you been reading or watching or listening to during this time, or or just even if the things you've read in the past that you would recommend for others? Yeah. Can you see this pretty well? All right. Yeah. This is uh, Augustine's Confessions. I'm I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, and March Madness. This is the time where we usually have March Madness with the college basketball tournament. Uh, well, obviously that's not happening this year, but I stumbled across from a few years ago, and honestly, I can't remember the exact website. I think it was something from InterVarsity, but InterVarsity Press. But they had a, a 64 book tournament of the greatest Christian books of all time, and it was really ingenious. So they had they had four regions, not north, east, south, west, and west, but they had you know like uh, spirituality was one region, uh, the, you know. Doctrine and apologetics was another region. Autobiographical or biographical was another region. And oh, and fiction. Uh, fiction was another region. In the final four, I think it was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity defeated Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship, or it might have been Life Together. I think it was Cost of Discipleship. And in the other semifinal, uh, Augustine's Confessions defeated Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And in the, and, yeah, and, and in the, oh, and in that's the, an opposition uh, that should never, never have happened. I know, I know. It's, and, it's and sad it, that one must defeat the other. There must be a winner, I guess. And Augustine uh, defeated C.S. Lewis in the final and uh, inspired me to, to, to pick it up, to pick up and read. To pick up and read. And, and I, can, I tell you what, it is... Um, Again, incredible how contemporary. Now he does not write from from you know the context of a pestilence or plague or, or, or anything like that, an epidemic, but he writes from the context of of, of his conversion story, as, as many of you know who have read it. But and, and it's so incredibly contemporary what he says about his own struggles, 
and about the, the struggles of the society around him. Uh, very contemplative, very prayerful. Indeed, the whole book is, in essence, a prayer to God, a confession to God. And it's been very uh, spiritually nourishing for me. I've been reading that. Uh, I've also been reading this devotional book, uh, To Live with Christ Through the Church Here uh, with Christ, uh, written by a contemporary theologian, 20th century, Bo Geertz, who was a uh, Lutheran bishop in the Church of Sweden. He follows the church here. He follows the, the lectionary. And for each day, scripture reading, devotion, and, and very heartfelt prayers. And again, I, that's what I've been reading for my morning and or evening uh, devotions when I pray. Uh. So two great books that you're reading for your own personal devotion. Uh, what else? Well, uh, I'm praying, as I read the devotional book, To Live With Christ by Bo Geertz, uh, I use that sometimes in the context of, of Compline. And for those of you unfamiliar with that, that is one of the traditional prayer offices that grew out of, grew out of the understanding of prayer in the Psalms and then in the monasteries and then into our churches and even into our homes. And so most of the hymnals from liturgical churches, um, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, uh, most of the hymnals will include Compline. You can find it online. Uh, the one I use, actually, Ryan, as you know, I'm originally from Sweden. I use this prayer app that's from Sweden, so that won't help most of you. But it has Compline, and that's often what the last thing I look at as I go to bed. Because, of course, the first thing we look at and the last thing we look at every day is our phones, right, for most of you. Admit it, right? So I got my phone there. The last, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my emails and texts to try to get out of that habit, frankly, but I'm still in that habit. But then I turn to my prayer app, and, and I pray Compline. And Compline begins usually with a confession, uh, of sin and, and a statement of God's forgiveness of us. It includes one or more several psalms. It includes the beautiful Nunc Dimittis at the end, the uh, Simeon's prayer when he held the Christ child in his, his arms in the temple and said, now I may depart in peace. Simeon could depart this life in peace because he had held the Lord. We can depart this day in peace because we have now heard again of God's mercy upon us we have again heard his word and the collects of Compline and, and, and maybe remind me, Ryan, before we close, maybe I'll you know, close with one of those collects. But the collects of Compline are, are, are beautiful uh, as well. And it's, it's a very peaceful prayer. And that's what we all need right now. You know, I mentioned the peace that passes all, and all understanding in Christ. Compline really speaks to that peace and, and gives us that rest. So, uh, yeah, I've been praying Compline. Yeah. Um, the um and you mentioned those those kind of very pragmatic uses of the phone and I too you know the phone is the first thing I pick up the last thing I I put down and I've found that if I observe the discipline of in the morning only opening my morning prayer app and saying that before anything else then it sets my whole day on a better course <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and then I and then when I actually do get into email and and looking at the news, I do it much more efficiently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I find I find honestly, I find honestly if if I can get up and the and not only not use the phone and not even use the prayer app on the phone, but I actually turn to a prayer book, that then I'm not even tempted to check the notifications and stuff and start thinking about them. That will find its place in time, and, and we may get interrupted anyway, and then those interruptions can be you know, prayer petitions and intercessions. But yeah, I find if I can turn to the book 
and have my prayers uh, from from the prayer book, the hymnal, the devotional book, and my own personal prayers. Yeah, that that then because if I start with the other things, frankly, that I that I think are so important and must get done right now, it's so often that then it doesn't start, and before I know it, I've mi- I, before I know it, then I've missed morning prayer. So yeah. What you allow to be important first thing in the morning is actually just going to expand to fill up all of your morning. Yeah, yeah indeed. Well, so could you close us with one of those colics? Yes. And, and let me just say one other uh, tool that I've been using, and it's an online one, Lutheran Student Fellowship, of which I'm the chaplain, as Ryan mentioned. We just developed a very simple prayer app, prayer page on the web, and uh, it's prayer.lsfpgh.com. So prayer.lsfpgh.com, Lutheran Student Fellowship Pittsburgh. Uh, and it just has daily prayer based on the noontime prayer from the Lutheran Service Book and the, the Book of Common Prayer, uh, Anglican Book. It's based on that, built around the Psalms and Scripture reading, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Kyrie, the Lord have mercy. And it's very simple and straightforward. And that's, I think, part of the strength of it, because with a lot of prayer apps or prayer books, you kind of need to turn here and there and have two or three things. This one, everything is there on one page, and and it's just all there for you. So if I just get a plug-in for that. Yeah, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to close our time together with maybe a couple of these uh, collects, uh, a couple of these prayers from Compline. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, support us all the day long of this troubled life, until the shadows lengthen, and the evening comes, and the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then, Lord, in your mercy, grant us a safe lodging, and a holy rest, and peace at the last. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night, so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of life may find our rest in your eternal steadfastness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Pastor Eric Andre, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's great to be with you. Thanks for listening. If you appreciated this episode, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We love to hear from listeners. Chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also learn more about our programming at BeatriceInstitute.org. That's BeatriceInstitute, all one word, dot org. And if you are a university student or faculty member in Pittsburgh and would like to be involved locally, check out our fellows program and get in touch. This episode was mixed and mastered by Yellow Music and Sound. Until next time, I'm Ryan McDermott. Go with God. Go with God.